The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from, from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You shall see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. seated. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. What do you want? This is one of the most fundamental questions in our existence, and it's also one of the most difficult to answer. Jamie Smith describes this exact phenomenon on display in the film Stalker, which is a sort of dystopian science fiction that follows three men on a journey. There's the professor, the writer, and the guide who is called Stalker, and they are journeying to a place called The Room because they've been told by Stalker that in The Room, the thing that they want, their greatest desire will be given to them. And as they arrive at the threshold of the room after this long journey, they begin to realize that this is the most important moment of their lives because their deepest desires are about to be revealed. And so they both hesitate. What if I don't know what I want? That's for the room to decide. The room will reveal not what you think you want, but what you actually most deeply desire. Do you get the tension that they're feeling as they sit outside? The longer that you sit with this question, what do you want, the more horrifying it can become because you start to realize that it's actually about identity. It's really a question about who you are. And the part that's horrifying is that we don't actually really know who we are. 
We've just reached some sort of equilibrium of self-ignorance that allows us to make it through each day. This section of the gospel according to St. John is fascinating in this respect. Just prior to the verses that I just read, uh, some disciples of John the Baptist start following Jesus, and Jesus sees them following, and he turns and says to them, what do you want? What do you want? And then, as you see in our reading, we're immediately thrown into a, a game of six degrees to Kevin Bacon as we're told about these relationships that exist prior within the disciples. Andrew was one of the two who was asked, what do you want by Jesus? And after spending one day with Jesus, we're told that Andrew immediately went and found his brother Simon and said, we have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Finding the Messiah, of course, was like maybe the biggest deal that could have ever happened to anybody in Jewish culture at the time. They had been waiting for God's anointed to arrive. And so Peter comes along with his brother, and Jesus looks at him and says, you are Simon, the son of John, but I'm going to call you Rocky. And then Jesus finds Philip, as we heard, and says, follow me. And Philip immediately finds Nathanael and says, we have found the one that Moses and the prophets spoke about. And then we get this incredible encounter between Nathanael and Jesus Similar to Simon Peter, Nathaniel is struck by the reality that Jesus knows him in a way that he doesn't even know himself. It's sort of striking, isn't it? The ease with which these earliest disciples of Jesus go and evangelize their friends. There is something about encountering Jesus that both redirects and fulfills our deepest desires and longings at the same time. And in some way, we come to know ourselves as we are beheld by Him. When Jesus asks the question, what do you want? These newfound disciples start to understand their desires and themselves in the way that Jesus sees them. And in a certain sense, the epiphany the dawning of the light of Christ upon the darkened world is a revelation that the divine gaze is directed at us. As the gospel accounts all make clear, for many, this revelation results in deep discomfort, even violent reactions. Those who react the worst to God's revelation in Jesus are almost universally described as those who refuse grace those who insist on being evaluated on their own self-perceived merits. They studied hard for the test. They're ready to take it. Nobody gets a cheat sheet. But there's something about Elizabeth and Mary and Martha and Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel, something about the way they respond to Jesus with an almost immediate sense of relief. They seem to understand that this divine gaze in Jesus is constitutive, not condemning. That he didn't come to condemn them. He came to heal them and remake them. They all seem to have the same sense of what C.S. Lewis referred to as zenzukt, this longing deep within us for a home that we've never been to, the feeling that Lewis says that we were born in the wrong place. We're looking for this other homeland, and they recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment 
of this longing. In Genesis 28, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, has left home. And one night he lays down to sleep and we're told, quote, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob wakes up and declares, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And this place, known in Israel as Beth-el, the house of God, remained a key location within Israel, both geographically and within temple theology and Jewish mysticism. It is this exact vision with, with Israel's father, right, that Jesus is referencing here in his discussion with Nathaniel thousands of years later. Only here, the Lord isn't standing above the ladder. It is Jesus himself who is the ladder, the gate that stands between heaven and earth with the messengers of God ascending and descending. It's been suggested that what Jesus is telling Nathanael here, that he will see heaven opened with the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, is actually a reference to the crucifixion, which in John's gospel is the moment of glorification, the lifting up of Jesus, the incarnate word, which brings us back again as we so often return to this place, to the continual paradox of Christianity. Jesus Christ reveals his divine glory in the way that he dies as a man on the cross. This is the moment. This is the unveiling. This is what the ladder that Jacob saw points to. There's this powerful scene in Terence Malick's A Hidden Life, which if you haven't seen it, it follows Franz, who's a young Austrian farmer during World War II, who risks his life and the lives of his wife and daughters to say nothing of the scorn and contempt of his neighbors for refusing to swear allegiance to Hitler. And the bulk of the three-hour movie is him wrestling with what is right in the midst of a very confusing and very difficult situation. At one point, Franz is assisting an old iconographer as he paints murals on a church wall, and the air is thick with the stress and difficulty that Franz is caught in as he seeks to be true to his faith in Jesus. And the old iconographer laments that even as he paints religious scenes, he says, we create admirers. We do not create followers. Christ's life is a demand, he says. I paint their comfortable Christ with a halo over his head, but someday I might have the courage. Someday I'll paint the true Christ. He's getting at this paradox, right? That to, to look at even the religious imagery that we have, such as it is, 
It's easy to be an admirer from a distance, but to lose the demand of the paradox of Christ that he reveals his divine glory in the way that he dies on the cross. And what Christ said to Philip, he says to each one of us, follow me. And for Philip, that following would end in his own crucifixion as he takes the message of Christ to the world. As our world continues to unmask itself with chaos and fracture and violence and fear tearing communities apart, we can recognize that the challenge of following Jesus is unique in every generation. And it is at the same time the exact same in every generation. The details change, but our response is always to seek a deeper understanding of the core mysteries of Christ. That somehow, in his willful handing himself over into sacrifice, he is displaying divine power and glory and love which is to say we must return again and again to offer everything in our world up to God in a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Because it is here, in this act of Eucharist, of making thanks, that we are reconstituted by the gaze of God, that we are continually fashioned into the new creation and remade into the image of Christ. This is the place where our deepest desires will get redirected and reshaped because we are being remade. And this refashioning calls us back out into the world to love our neighbors with radical generosity, to offer our lives in myriad hidden martyrdoms in each moment, with each person, giving ourselves in love as unto Christ. May we be given courage that we may with our lives paint the true Christ and may his peace rule in our hearts as we trust in him. Amen.